You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Join the photography and videography community at Photo Plus 2019, October 24th to 26th at the Javits Convention Center in New York City. This is a three-day photography and videography event where you're going to be exposed to everything you need to improve your business and hone your craft. Get your hands on the newest gear from leading brands and hear practical tips during interactive sessions led by well-known experts directly in their booths. Visit photoplusexpo.com or use and use promo code MASTER to register for free. That's photoplusexpo.com, promo code MASTER to register for free. Welcome into the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You're joined by thousands of photographers listening to this show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I am Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode, and joining me is Brent Bergherm. How are you, Brent? Hello, doing well. Glad to be here. Yeah, so glad to have you on. I've had a few people comment that I mumble so much when I say my name. They don't know what to put in uh, in the Facebook group when they go to join it. <laughs> so I got to be slower and Jeff Harmon say my name very, very clearly. <laughs> people and, and mine, people can sometimes trip over too. It's Yes, it's Berg Herm. Yes. If you really wanted to enunciate that H, you could. It's not something I tend to do. But yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> the good thing is it doesn't really matter how they spell it. I've seen my name spelled so many ways. I mean, everyone yeah. sees their name is spelled constantly. So... Uh, yeah. yeah, it's no big deal. But Facebook group, I, I will mention it right up the top here. If you use Facebook, you want to go join the Facebook group. If you've listened to the show, uh, it's a really fun environment there. We work really hard to make it a, a good place where it's, it's constructive. There's questions being asked and answered there all the time. And even if it's been asked before, that's no big deal. People just point you to like, okay, well, here's here's an article or here's a podcast or or just writing out their own answers there, right there in the in the Facebook groups, even if it's been answered, asked and answered a bunch, which happens constantly. But great place for someone's just starting out. If if you have lots of questions as you start on your journey towards mastering your photography, go check out the group. You do have to name a host of the show, so Jeff will work and Brent will work, and and we'll let you in. We'll let, that'll let us know that you are listening to the show. I've even seen some people try to get around it thinking that we'll we'll say it's fine by putting their own name in for the yeah. host of the show. <laughs> nope, that's not going to work. We, well, we and, I, and I've seen people say, I'll go listen now. Yeah, it's right, just like, right. Well, no, but, uh, we, thank you. Yep, <laughs> but come, come we got to know your you name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway. We want to we keep it with just people who listen to the show. So you got to pass that tiny little test, which is no big deal. And, uh, and you're in and it's fun. All right, we're going to start off the show today on a topic that we've had a little bit over the last little while. Brent is a conflicted man. I am. <laughs> he's oh. conflicted. And uh, he's thinking about possibly switching from Canon to Sony this time. Yeah. So tell me about it, Brent. Oh, it's it's an unfolding treasure trove. Well, not really treasure trove. It's an unfolding saga of what do I want in my photography and experiences I'm out shooting? And certainly we've gone through my attempt at switching to Fuji. And uh, I haven't talked about it a whole lot here, but I I rented an Olympus camera a couple of weeks ago. 
and I talked about that a bit on my Latitude podcast. And it's just been um, just this journey that I'm looking for something that I can go lighter is something that I want to do. It's important to me to have an option to have a, a, a significantly lighter camera because I'm shooting the 5D Mark IV now and I just want to lighten my load. And over the last couple of, well, a long time actually, I've had the, the A6400, but I never really seriously thought, oh, I'll give Sony a, you know, a serious shot. I love the 6400 for the video mm-hmm. uh, capabilities that it, it's, it's offering me. Although I, got, I did get frustrated the other day because I, I failed to remember I have to touch the screen when I'm shooting video. I have to touch the screen to tell it what I want it to actually focus on the uh-huh. way I have it set up now anyway. Okay. And it wasn't focusing on me. And I was like, oh, so simple. <laughs> but then when we talked about uh, several episodes ago, we talked about the A7R4. Uh-huh, right. And I remember mentioning, I was like, you know, for some reason, I can't explain it. I just have never been interested in Sony. But when they came out with this camera, suddenly I was just like, huh, this is, this is really intriguing. I, I'm very interested in this camera, actually. And so the way that this is going now, what I, what I'm pretty set I'm going to do set that I'm going to do, I'm going to start building a few lenses out in on the a 6,400, which is the crop sensor, but I'm going to keep my eye on the full frame because I know that Sony is going to come out with a couple of other full frames here shortly. And I think they're, the rumor sites are saying that there's going to be, uh, an a seven S three that is, imminent for announcement and then also an a9 replacement is imminent not that i'm going to jump on those cameras it's just with the transition it's going to take time so i might as well take a little more time i have been trying to be patient to see what others can come out with you know we have this new l mount alliance with panasonic sigma and leica and just thought you know i'll be patient and see what's going on there uh really what it comes down to is flexibility is how I'm kind of describing it in the Sony system because they do have a smaller lens mount and I can actually benefit from that by having a physically smaller camera for the APS-C censored cameras. And if I need to go to that full frame, then I've got that flexibility and I can go back and forth with the same exact lenses. I can't do that in Canon right now because if I wanted APS-C smaller size, I have to have a completely different lens mount. And if I wanted to do that with any other camera, it's just, you know, camera brand, you just can't do that. So I am intrigued by the idea of the flexibility going back and forth between the more capable camera, more resolution, et cetera, and then having the lenses still be 100% compatible across both smaller and larger bodies. And plus, you know, I can get the APS-C format lenses. Those are going to be smaller. So it just... The flexibility is what I'm really liking. Right. So even though you can use full frame lenses on the Canon APS-C, it's the reverse that you really want. You want the smaller yeah. lenses that you can use on both full frame and crop. And that's what you can't do with, with Canon. Precisely. Yeah. Not that I would always you know, think that that is my, my complete end goal. Because if you do that, you, you take your APS-C lens on your full frame camera, you're effectively wasting pixels if that is like all you do. Sure. And so you've overbought your camera. But it's about that flexibility and to say, you know, if I wanted to put, you know, they, they released a new 70 to 350 millimeter. 
And if I wanted to put that lens on, let's say, the A7R4, well, I get a 26 megapixel camera, but I also get that really awesome performance uh, that comes with that camera. And it still will auto crop down to the APS-C size. And it's, yeah, it's, so that that's the kind of idea I, I'm sort of easing into it uh, <laughs> as I'm thinking about this. Because I was just like, you know, as I shot that Fuji, as I shot these, um, the, the Olympus, and I'm thinking about things, you know, I'm trying to identify, you know, what is, I should say, re-identify what are my goals out of my photography and, and the experience that I'm doing as I shoot. And it seems that most of, that more of my goals can be met if I were to go ahead and switch over to Sony in the least package weight. Uh-huh. Uh, or I'll have more package weight because I have even more bodies with me, but I'll have even more options. I'll have have more flexibility between those. So so as it is now, I'm going to start building out the the APS-C line of things. I'm going to uh, going to go ahead and buy that 70 to 350. I really like that lens. And then I need a a wider angle lens. Uh, right now I only have the 18 to 135, but I really want a wider angle prime and then when I go to a full frame, my plan is to focus on prime lenses for that and Eventually, I'll probably get some zooms. You know, this is this is going to be a. I don't know if it's going to be a multi-year transition or what, but it's going to take a while for me to transition because I can't just go and dump everything at once and jump over there to the other thing. But it'll it'll happen over the next couple of months, few months. Uh huh. Okay. So the performance aspects of it. Give me a little more detail on the performance aspects that that are enticing to you. I, I get that the reason you're looking at switching at all is the size. You just want to lighten your load, get to smaller equipment, but you weren't looking at it until more recently. So, so yeah. give me some more hints on that. What is it that yeah. uh, that convinced you recently with the A7R4? Well, as I've seen some other photographers releasing their images, <laughs> right? And I, I again, if I go back to when we had that talk, you know, sixty-one megapixels. I'm going to be one of the first people that says 98% of the images that I shoot, I don't need that much. Sure. And when I'm looking at over a hundred megabytes on the raw file size, you know, I think, well, I'm glad I upgraded my computer because <laughs> I do have a pretty powerful MacBook pro, but that's the only machine I use. I'm not going to have a desktop that's like ultra spec and ultra, you know, this and uh -huh. that. Right. Uh, but that resolution, I think uh, listeners also, are are going to remember i just love you know ex emphasis emphasis love to think about that ultimate rendition of my image is a big mural a big print and if i can do that yay can yeah, i do that with yeah. 20 some megapixels yes i can can i do that more easily with 60 megapixels yes i can <laughs> right so that's where i'm thinking as i build into it that's intriguing to me. However, on the flip side, if that A7S3 comes out, and let's say that's only 20 megapixels, let's say it's, I don't know, 18 megapixels, because the A7S2 is only, what, 12 megapixels, 12 point whatever megapixels. Uh -huh. And I shot some fantastic images and made some fantastic enlargements with my original Canon 5D, which is only 12.8 megapixels. So, yeah, it's not necessarily the idea of the megapixels, but let's face it, it also is at the same time <laughs> right. because that level of detail, I mean, you can get 
with that many pixels, you know, I could get like a 30 by 40 inch at 300 pixels per inch without having to interplay any, anything. Now, um, those, that's not the exact calculation probably, but it's close to it. And so to have that much information in the image and get that huge of a print, woo, that would just be phenomenally awesome to, to be able to do. Yeah. Okay. So the megapixels is an aspect to me. So right now I'm, I'm not considering upgrading any cameras right now. Um, sure. I'm, I've got plenty of camera to play with. <laughs> There's, that's not been a, a problem for, for a while now. Uh, my skills are not so good that I'm beyond my, uh, my crop sensor Canon cameras. And I, I hope I can improve to the point where that is an issue. But right now it's absolutely not the camera that's limiting anything. It's me and the skills. And I, I have a lot to learn. I'm still very much on that path <laughs> towards mastering photography. Um, but if I was going to make an investment in camera equipment and upgrade so that I could I could practice with it better and, and have more options, uh, it, it would be Sony that I would go to as well. Even though I've been a Canon shooter from the beginning since I got started uh, several years ago. I think it's about five or six years now. And even though I'm very familiar with that system and I know the Canon 5D Mark IV is a fantastic camera that would uh, that would really enable a lot. The reason for me would be dynamic range. Sure. The Sony sensors that are in there are pretty much the top of the line as far as dynamic range right now, according to the testing. Nikon has put Sony sensors into a lot of their cameras, so a lot of their bodies also have some really high results. And and Canon's always lagged there a little bit, uh, or a lot, (laughs) depending on... on, Depending who you talk to. Yeah, who you talk to. But... um, so, so that that is a really big deal to me to be able to do that. There's there's some things I'd like to capture where there's so much dynamic range in the scene you can't get it in a single shot. And you have to bracket, and, and I know how to do that, and I enjoy doing it actually. But it's harder. It actually, like you'd said, it takes more time. So when you have yeah. the option to be able to take a photo and have less work you have to do with that photo, or more options, more flexibility with it, then that's valuable. That's very valuable. And, it really is. And, yeah. and that's kind of the more of a, I guess it's an equal uh, draw for me. You know, it's always been there. I've always known that, uh, I've, well, for the last three years or more, uh, I've always known that there's a slight bump in improvement in that, in that regard. And that's one of the things I was kind of looking at as I was testing the Fuji as well. And I tested the, uh, the Olympus. Uh, Fuji handled it really well. The Olympus slightly less than my Canon on the dynamic range, but it was still a very capable camera. You know, we have a, a just a boatload of capability in all these cameras. But as I was thinking about that with that Olympus, I was like, you know, is this something I want out of my experience of photography? You know, what's important to me is is the other benefits of the camera more important to me, or is this side of it more important to me? And I've come all on the lines of saying, no, I, I'm one who I would prefer to have a little more weight and a little more dynamic range because of that weight or, you know, that's my sacrifice that I'm giving basically. And that I'm just going to, I think I'm just going to be happy with it. You know, that the, the a 6,400, uh, pretty decent in the dynamic range as well. And that, that tends to be a lot of what I shoot too, is that wide, uh, that wide ranging image and to be able to lift those shadows appropriately and not have them go all to junk. Um, 
I love it when that works out on my Canon, but I'd probably be able to extend that just a little bit more if I were to happen to pick up a Sony full frame. So that is also intriguing to me, but really it's about the size <laughs> of the print that I can get without having to, to create a, a pano or anything like that. That's, that's grown in the, in the importance for me, uh, in my mind. But I also still have to balance that. Is this going to be something that really is something I do a whole lot? Yeah, probably not a whole lot. But when I do make that happen, it's just going to be so wonderful to to be able to to provide that large, impactful experience when I come into a room and I look, or go down a hallway and I look at that image and it's just like. Bam, just right there. Because <laughs> right. I do have a 44-inch machine to, to yeah, print these things yeah. So uh, at work. So I, you know, it's not like I'm just all pipe dreaming everything here. Right. I, I can make it happen. So that's, that's kind of where it's, where it's leading me. And our good friend Nick Page, he's in the Sony. Has, I think we've had yeah. an episode where he, he's talked about that. And, and he's got his own podcast where he's, he's told uh, the reasons why it is that he went from Canon to Sony. And, uh, and he recently posted in our Facebook group, um, he posted a, a big panel that he took mm -hmm. um, with his Sony camera and the, detail, the level of detail that he's got even at 100% um, on some trees that were a ways away from him. And uh, because, because of the megapixel density and, and the resolution of the lenses and the camera, the whole system just combined together produces some really astounding results that he is so, so happy with. And so if you want to see that, you can go check out Nick's post in our Facebook group too and, and see what he's talking about. Uh, it was enough that he's like, oh, I have to go post. I have to go share this information and I want to yeah. share it with the master photography group. <laughs> yeah. Was, and yeah, definitely impressive. And, you know, that's just another one of the little, you know, notches in the in the idea of idea making, whatever you want to call it, just that nudges me a little bit more forward in this and just saying that, um, you know, I look back to the, the idea, well, I've been trying to be patient to see what Canon can bring out, but I've added this extra thing in my mind. It's been more illuminated for me, this idea in my mind of the flexibility of the system. I'm just not sure I'm going to get that with Canon. For instance, you know, like the, um, the 90D, Mm -hmm. That's an APS-C. That's still the EOS, regular EOS uh, lens mount. They just released that. Beautiful camera. They should have made it mirrorless. And, well, they did in the M6, but that's a different, you know, totally different lens mount. And I just don't have that flexibility. Right, right. If I wanted to have something to go back and forth a little more easily between them, as you, as you grow in a camera system, I'm intrigued by that flexibility. And so that's, yeah, that's the ultimate, um, I guess you could say, thing that pushed me over the edge mm -hmm. uh, to, to do this because uh, everything else involved is like, yeah, it's nice, but it's not enough to push me over. But then just kind of having this uh, really illustrated for me in the last week or so, just like, yeah, this is really a benefit that I need to take advantage of. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm like, okay, I think I'm there. It's, it's taken me a while to, to, to remove my, to remove my wheel from the Canon rut that I'm in. And it's been a fantastic rut to be in. Right. But I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna serve me well. And, and I'm looking forward to, 
to, to what it brings. And uh, probably later today, I'll go ahead and place that order for that one lens. And I have yet to decide on which wide angle lens I want to get, but if I can find a prime wide angle lens uh, for the 6400, I'll be super happy. Uh, and then when I go full frame, my point to uh, stick with the primes is just, you know, when I talked about sw uh, switching to the Fuji, I wanted to also switch up my shooting experience and going from zooms to prime hmm. does that too. Right. So that's part of it. It's an intentional, purposeful type movement to uh, to shoot di a little bit differently and to have a different experience when I go out shooting. Does that mean I won't buy a zoom lens down the road? Of course it doesn't mean that. <laughs> right. It means that for now, you know, in the foreseeable future, I'm going to do what I can to try and shoot primes and just have a slightly different approach when I am shooting the full frame sensor. Okay, and just a, a, a little bit of the terminology we've gone through here that in case there are newer people to photography, Primes are the kind of lens where you can't zoom in and out. It's like it's a fixed focal length. It's something that you uh, the only way you change what you're seeing through the camera or through that lens is by moving your feet. You got to you got to move back and forth because that, that lens itself doesn't zoom in and out. And uh, they, they generally have a benefit that they're less expensive and higher quality lenses right. um, like quality you can't get in zooms in comparison because there's a zoom has so many more problems they have to deal with with like physics <laughs> and yeah. so so you you end up with a a higher quality and most of the time they're they're less expensive though some of some of those primes can get really expensive too yeah i was looking last night and there's plenty of them available that are 1300 and more dollars I was yeah like, this really isn't going to be that much of a saving so i just have to find the right one <laughs> right and tokina actually has one i think it was tokina um uh, that i was really interested in i'll have to research a little more but uh it's their fire and f-i-r-i-n line they have a wide angle it's like a 20 millimeter f2 or f28 something like that and i was like oh well that looks interesting because it was not so expensive but from the sounds of the description, of course, it sounds like they're, this is like one of the top line lenses. So I just have to read more about it before I dive into that. Sure. Yeah, very cool. Okay, so Brent is conflicted once again. You've been conflicted like all year. <laughs> I have. All of 2019. And, <laughs> and it's, it's um, really good of the listeners to put up with me about this. <laughs> you were going to go Fuji. That didn't work out. Oh, I so wanted that to work out, but yeah, it just didn't. And then you were thinking maybe Olympus, but well, I was I was just when I went with the Olympus rental, I was like, let's give it a try. Oh, okay. Cuz I was open to being surprised. And I I can't say that I was surprised, but I did gain just that little extra bit of knowledge about what it is to shoot a camera like that because there's always been you know in my in a, my primary digital experience i've always been a full-frame shooter and i've been kind of that guy you could assume i was kind of that guy that was always looking down my nose at the micro four thirds and i wanted to do what i could to at least understand what those types of cameras are about i have at least a, a, a tiny smidgen of information about that so it doesn't you know definitely a capable system and i really like lots of things about it but it just wasn't enough to push me over the edge and say yeah this is where i want to go with my smaller format camera so yeah yep okay 
But we'll we'll see what results. We'll see if you're back in Canon land <laughs> or if you what are. What will happen in five months? Am I going to stick with Canon? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yep. And, and we'll talk about it again then. We'll see. Well, I, I've already contacted some people saying, hey, I'm looking to move my 5D4 along. So if they... Um, if anyone else is interested, uh, you know, I, I suppose they can contact me. But I already do have some local people that have previously expressed interest, and I'd rather sell it to someone local just yeah, yeah. for ease of that. But right. yeah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> All right, very good. Okay, we're going to thank a sponsor real quick. Then we're going we're gonna to talk about the impact artificial intelligence is having on photography. Um, if you've you've established a solid career, but these days it can be really tough to shine among growing competition. What are you doing to make sure that you're up to date with the latest trends, technologies, and techniques? You're listening to this podcast, so that is, we hope is going to help you. That's kind of a goal we have with the podcast is to help you with that. But another thing you can do if if you are going to be in the New York area or you can plan to be in the New York area is go and register for Photo Plus 2019. This is a three-day photography and videography event it exposes you to everything you need to improve your business and hone in your craft. You can get your hands on the newest gear from leading brands and hear practical tips and tricks during interactive sessions led by well-known experts. Exhibitors host education sessions directly in their booths. Topics are going to cover everything from lighting to composition and design to image capture, retouching, storage, better promoting yourself and your work, a lot of everything that a photographer needs to really improve and get better at what they're going to do. No matter your specialty, you'll connect with peers and creative leaders and gain access to a full spectrum of technical and tactical knowledge to put it into action right away. Your competition is continuing to elevate. And in this case, in this episode, we're talking about AI can be your competition. We're going we're gonna to get into that a little more. But you can take some time to invest in yourself and your personal craft. If you have been involved with this expo before, with Photo Plus before, um, this year's a little different. They are not offering a separate paid conference this year. All of the education is being offered on the show for, for free if you use the code MASTER to register. You can join the entire photography and videography community at PhotoPlus 2019. It's October 24th to 26th at the Javits Convention Center in New York City. Go to PhotoPlusExpo.com and remember that that coupon code is MASTER to register for free and let them know that you heard about the, uh, the conference here on the show. We like to thank our sponsor. All right, let's talk about the impact of artificial intelligence or people call it AI and some people may not even have known what AI, A and AI stood for. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> a couple of of recent news stories that have come out that have illustrated how important and impactful AI is becoming. And impactful in a few ways. It can be something we can leverage as photographers. We can leverage the AI to help us with some of the things that we want to do. But like I, I just mentioned in that in that ad, it can also be our competition. We're going to get to that story at the at the end of this, and, and why it is. I I really think photographers need to be very aware of AI and the impact it's having on photography. The most obvious story related to this right now 
is the iPhone 11. So Brent, have you been tempted? Are you going to upgrade to the iPhone 11? This is something that I would if I could, (laughs) right? (laughs) But I'm still paying off my, uh, I was a late adopter to the 8 plus. So I'm still on an 8 plus and I'm still paying that off. There's not, not going to be a chance when it comes to my cell phone. I tend to really use it because only about a year ago, maybe a little longer than that. I upgraded finally from the iPhone 5C and I had that forever too. So I'm not one of these early adopters on the cell phones, no. Yeah. I also, my plan, the economics really is what it is for me. They're they're just expensive enough. I have to go three years in in between. That's just the way the finances are going to work for me. So exactly. um, uh, Yeah, I I hope. And then the issue can become battery. That's really the the only reason um, financially I have decided to change. It's not because of the features. I wish I could do it based on features every time for sure. Right. It would be awesome to be able to do that. But battery, especially in iPhones, there's no, you know, battery swap that you can do. And, and it's even got like, you could do some, I fix it stuff or try to try to change it out. Or or I think there was like a a nominal fee to try to get a new battery put into a phone, but it it just made, that was like my decision point. There was like, well, after three years, your battery is pretty much shot. So um, so then that's a good time to go and, and finally invest in the upgrade and and they'll get my money's worth out of the camera. So that's my own plan. I'm not saying anyone else has to do that. It's just the factor for me. So yes, I will be skipping the iPhone 11. I got the the original iPhone 10 was the cycle for me. So I, I bought that one. I would love to have the iPhone 11 Pro. That would be a, a tremendous benefit, I think, in mm-hmm. having... Uh, because we we've talked about the best camera is the one you have with you. <laughs> and I have my phone with me everywhere all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't have my my Canon cameras with me all the time. And I just it's not even close to practical to to think I'm going to pack them with me everywhere and it could become something that gets stolen in a car if it's left out there and I'm not using it. And so I, there's no way. I just not I'm not taking it with me all the time. And so the phone in my pocket is the phone that I do have with me all the time. And the iPhone 10 does a fantastic job. The 8 Plus does a fantastic job with photography. So it is often a really good option, but not the, not the same as a DSLR yeah. uh, or, or a, a, a real dedicated camera. Or it's, an 11 nowadays. <laughs> or an 11. Yeah, now an 11. Oh my goodness. <laughs> All right. This is so, amazing stuff. But... And and what's changed with the 11, they've, they've added a third lens. So that's that's helpful. My iPhone 10 has two lenses. So you can switch from the normal view, which is pretty wide in comparison to, uh, to a, a dedicated camera. It's pretty wide. And then it has a telephoto, which is about 50 millimeters. So it's not really that telephoto. But for a, phone, a smartphone, it is telephoto. And, uh, and it, it, so you have optical zoom capabilities, meaning you can switch between the two lenses. And, uh, and that's been fun to have. I've, I've enjoyed that to be able to have those two. They added a third with the iPhone 11 and it is ultra wide. So now you have a, a much wider perspective than that initial view. And uh, some photographers are really liking that, especially for landscapes. They're enjoying having that ultra wide lens there. Um, but that's not really AI. That's just another lens that's there. And is, is kind of a neat post. But let's talk about the AI aspects because that's more, it, it is 
even more overwhelming or more of a feature of this phone upgrade than the physical lenses. That's it, they needed that lens to get some of these capabilities, but uh, it it is really the the uh, the artificial intelligence and the software and what's happening there that is the the best part of this. Uh, just to give you a few specs on the lenses that are in there, uh, ultra wide has a shutter speed of one forty five hundredth of a second to one second. So pretty fast shutter speed there goes ISO 21 to 2016. The ISO numbers that you have on a smartphone, I think are, are really tough to compare to ISO on a dedicated camera. Uh, but you know, this is the numbers that are reported. It's about a 13 millimeter equivalent focal length. So uh, very, very wide. And it has an aperture of F 2.4. So pretty low aperture, but again, tough to compare those aperture numbers on a smartphone sensor, because that's a tiny itty bitty sensor compared to your, your regular sensor. So I I wouldn't say that's apples to apples of like a, a 2.8 lens on a dedicated camera, even uh, like micro four thirds is even a a massively bigger sensor. Mm -hmm. So uh, physically these things really wouldn't have a chance to even compete or come close to competing with a dedicated camera it's all in that artificial intelligence that we'll talk about again in just a second. All right, then on the, the normal lens, the in-between, the ultra-wide and the telephoto, it has a shutter speed of 1, 1,000,500th of a second. There you go. It's faster. It's quite a bit faster shutter speed. It has an ISO 32 to 3072, focal length of about 26 millimeters, and aperture of f1.8. So that's definitely still the lens that has the most capability, the normal camera view so not zooming out not zooming in the normal view still has the most capabilities which is something to to know if you're using the camera and you want to get the very best quality image that you can it's still going to be that main lens switching to ultra wide you give up a little bit and going to telephoto you also give up a little bit let me tell you those it's about the same specs as the ultra wide shutter speeds 1 of a second uh iso 24 to 2016 and then focal length is about 51 millimeters with an aperture of f2. So the it kind of order of at least aperture and, and light gathering. The telephoto has more than ultrawide. Well, ultrawide's the, the slowest at f2.4. Telephoto f2 and the back camera f1.8. Um, so it's still really cool specs, really fun, the options that you have. But what's even better is what Apple is doing with the software side of things with those physical specs. Uh, If there wasn't the software there, I I suspect the results would be far more underwhelming (laughs) than what you can get. The whole difference is made in the software. And, And they're not alone here. It's not just Apple that's had this capability. I'm really glad that we have Google with Android pushing and making things challenging for Apple so that they they have to continue to develop this and make it better. They seem to kind of leapfrog each other a little bit every every time there's big releases. They're going back and forth. And, and I think uh, Android options had some better, especially low-light options for quite a while. And uh, with this release of the iPhone, they find Apple finally catches up there. And some have said even like barely but does surpass what the night mode or low light mode in some of the android phones had um to profile these diff the the options here and what the software can do we're going to put a link in the show notes to an article 
that was written by a, a professional photographer who has uh, clients like National Geographic and Nike and, you know, just the small, small players out there. <laughs> Some incredible, uh, he, he's a, 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 a professional photographer who's, who knows what he's doing. That's kind of the point. He knows, he knows what he's doing and he's been testing it out. Uh, Apple set him up with a pre-release version so he could go out there and do some some trips to China and uh, and use the new camera to be able to to test out all the controls here. So he's got a, a, an article we'll link to that it, um, it, that really illustrates kind of the the way this has impressed him. And one of the he's got lots of shots the ultra wide. He's loving the the perspective and the possibilities of what you can capture with the ultra wide lens. And uh, and he's got a really impressive shot of the Comrade Fisherman. If you guys have been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that uh, that that's been a very popular kind of topic for photographers going over to China and being able to do that. Did you you didn't go over there, did you, Brent? No, that's when I got sick in Hong Kong and I canceled my China extension. So uh-huh. I was going to do that, but no, I didn't get to do that. Uh, so if you're not familiar, if you're newer to the show and, and you probably have seen images of this in the past, you just didn't know it was, they were called Comorant fishermen. These are fishermen in China that are the, uh, the culture is dying out. Um, technology or, or changes in the culture is, uh, is making this become something where it's, it's really only kind of the photo opportunity why it exists today rather than an industry that used to really be thriving and important in China. These are fishermen who have birds as partners. And, um, and they, they would go out on their rafts or their boats, and, and the birds would help them to find the fish and, and actually do the fishing. And there was this like really unique relationship between the fishermen and the bird to train the bird how to do that and, and have it all work. And, and uh, it's very unfortunate that... It's becoming a, it's a dying art. It's a dying uh, job that in China. And anyway, they, there's there's some fun photo opportunities of it today. There's uh, a few of these comrade fishermen left, and mostly what they do is pose for people taking pictures these days. And so they they get on the rafts and they they have like a, a lantern that they use on the rafts. They have their bird with them, and it makes for some really cool photography. Uh, very very compelling kind of images and but they're they're low light at least that's the most compelling version of you can of course take the pictures of them in the day too but at night when that lantern is the thing that's lighting up the raft and providing the the light for the scene it's a really compelling uh, moving kind of of image that, that you can create and it was challenging even for dedicated cameras, DSLR, mirrorless, whatever whatever you wanted to use. It was kind of a challenging environment with that one lantern to, to get a good photo of it. And like impossible with most smartphones. It just wouldn't have worked. The Google Pixel or, or some of the other Android phones that had a, a pretty decent night mode in the last couple of years uh, would, had, did a much better job. And this photographer took that picture of the Comrade Fisherman. And it's amazing. It's a, a pretty amazing thing that you can get that kind of a photo from a smartphone and it's not because of the specs i just went through the specs those specs are not overwhelming (laughs) those specs especially because i i still think it's very difficult to compare them even to the specs on a on a dslr or mirrorless camera i don't think they're gonna really be comparable to each other if it had just the raw specs 
taking these photos. It's what it's doing as it, the artificial intelligence is the difference. And the thing that I think photographers need to be thinking about, not only do you need to understand it so you can use it and leverage it and, and make it part of your photography, but it's your competition. You need to be able to view it that way. So let, let me just read to you a little bit about how night mode works and what, what this photographer who, who took it to China, what he said. He said, if you're a pro familiar with shooting long exposures, you'll immediately realize something is fundamentally different about how the iPhone 11 Pro collects light in night mode. From what I understand, the way night mode actually works is the camera captures a bunch of short exposures and slightly long exposures, checks them for sharpness, throws out the bad ones, blends in the good ones. On a traditional DSLR or mirrorless camera, a five-second exposure is one single continuous recording of light throughout the duration of the shutter, so any movement of the subject is recorded. But with iPhone 11 Pro, the rules are different. It's not capturing one single continuous frame, but blending a whole bunch of shots with variable lengths, some shorter exposures to freeze motion, and longer shots to expose the shadows. This means the subject can actually move during your exposure and still remain sharp. I'm sure some of you are wondering, well, this is cool for handholding, but what if you want to do light trails? The iPhone actually detects when it's on a tripod and changes exposure methods so that light trails and movements can still be captured. This new way of thinking took me a good bit of testing questioning to really figure out what it is that's going on, and it is yet another place where the computational side of photography really shines, leveraging powerful software instead of a big lens with big glass to capture more light. Uh, really, really cool. That is, it's, it's amazing what this technology is doing. And that you could look at it as a, a positive because now you can take pictures with your phone that you never could before and, and figure out how do I leverage that in the photography that I'm doing. But it could be viewed as a negative too, because it means anybody can now take their phone out of their pocket, point it at the Comoran fisherman with really low light and get a good photo. What, what do you think about that, Brent? I think this is really, really amazing stuff. And a couple of points that it, that it kind of, that I want to kind of pick apart just a little bit on the active shooting though, you know, he's talking about <clears throat> the idea of what if I want to do light trails <clears throat> and it would, I, I just, it sounds like from what he's saying that you can't do that unless you put it on a tripod and the sensors in the camera will then detect, you know, that it's not being handheld anymore. And then it can allow for that longer exposure to come through. So you can have some light trails. I would like to be able to do that handheld anyway, because what if I'm just standing on the city street and I want to get the traffic going by in light trails, it sounds like that's not possible to do if light, if night mode is activated. Of course, I've not shot it. I've not seen any results otherwise <laughs> of people trying to do that. It's just, if as long as we can turn it off, that'd be cool. But the ability for it to basically take out the sections, as, as Apple calls it, with too much blur, and then it fuses sharper ones. You know, that's coming from the Apple website. That's like some kind of image voodoo magic that's happening <laughs> right. behind the scenes. And it's happening, you know, really quickly because 
yeah, the camera requires you to have a couple of seconds worth of, you know, capturing the the image. And, you know, Apple has some experience with this anyway, with even my iPhone 8, I've got that live mode where it's taking uh, like a half a second or so of a series of very fast images, uh, very, you know, very quickly recording those images. And then I can go back later and choose exactly which what I want, yep. which yep. frame I want, or I can blend them according to what the software allows me to do after the fact. This seems like it's doing all that magically, you know, for these night scenes. But the fact that it blends these different exposures, long exposure and short exposures, you know, one to expose the shadows and probably record more rich color as well. And then the other to say, no, here's our details. And I can just imagine myself going with two different pictures, one in Photoshop, one with the more details, right. one with the better color and blending those manually in Photoshop. That would take me forever. Right. Right. It, and it probably not really be possible because it takes, it takes decisioning at like pixel by pixel level to do this. Right. Right. And these different areas, <laughs> you know, certain areas, well, for, like what happens if this, the, 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 the cormorant bird, if it moves its wings or whatever, it's got to analyze that and decide, well, which frame am I going to take of these wings and how am I going to, you know, expose that or, or bring that into the exposure that's, that's saved as the, the capture. There's a lot of, certainly a lot of stuff going on in the background. And if you have subtle movements, you know, it can handle it, it sounds like. Whereas if you would have major movements, it it would just have to show it as a blurry subject anyway, just because you got too much movement going on. But for those calm scenes, this is definitely working very, very well. And that's that's what the you know, the the other examples I've seen online from other people are very calm, still scenes. Right, right. And they're coming out really well. That's just really cool. And I guess to extend it further, what is Sony, Canon, Nikon, and the rest? <laughs> right. When are they gonna get on on this and at least put that capability if we wanted to flip the switch and turn it on into a mirrorless camera, that would be pretty incredible stuff. It would be. Yeah, there's certainly a lot. It's The smartphone camera emphasis is really going to be able to to push the, the dedicated cameras too, I think. It, mm-hmm. it seems like that's going to be a big deal. And software can be the thing. Like We could make it so that your phone or sorry your your dedicated camera could take these same photos right you could sure. if you had a mode that said hey i want you to take short and long of the same thing i'm going to press the shutter button once and i want you to do it all and right. then i can take the results of those photos onto the computer and have the computer do the work to to merge it all together into a single shot that would probably produce just stunning results and be so easy for everyone to use that uh, that that would be really helpful to all mm-hmm. of us and and I could see it going that way um, for example we have luminar as a soft from skyloom that's a, a vendor of of uh, software for the computers uh, you they originally had it just for Mac and it's it's available for PC too and and they uh, they have in their luminar 3. They have some AI capabilities. I've used a, a, occasionally in some of my photos for especially light rays. They have this really cool uh, filter is what they call it. But it's it's a filter you can apply where it, it adds light rays 
to your photo and you have a lot of control about where the light source should be and what the the size of the light rays should be, both the width of the rays and how long the rays should be in the photo. And as you move it around on the screen, as you move the source of the light rays around, it's looking at the pixels in the scene being like, okay, actually that's a mountain and that, there's a tree. So it, I need to consider that as I generate the light rays about where the light rays are going to show up. It's incredible what it can do. And that's in Luminar 3. They're working on, they've already announced a version of Luminar 4 where the AI features themselves are greatly improved. And uh, and that's, I, I'm so excited. I, I know one of the things that they've already announced was a, an automatic background replacement. So if you had a, you took a, a picture and you had trees, that I, I've got a personal experience with this one. I had a scene in front of me where I actually didn't even want to replace the background, but the background uh, was going to be blown out like exposure wise. I didn't have enough dynamic range to capture the foreground and the background in a single shot. So I set it up to, to do bracketing, but it just didn't work because there, was, there wasn't a ton of wind, but there was enough wind to move those leaves around that merging the two just didn't work. It just, it, it couldn't happen without a lot of work and cloning and oh gosh, I, I didn't do it very well with the photo. And mm-hmm. um, if, if Skyloom could analyze that and replace the background automatically, or sorry, Luminar, not Skyloom, Skyloom's the company, Luminar's <laughs> the software. Um, if, if Luminar could do that, the possibilities become so much greater and make the job so much easier to produce the image that you can envision in your head. But it also means everybody has access to this without yeah. having to learn a lot. So what, what do you think about that, Brent? This, this give and take, like it, it could give us as who are photographers and, and really trying to develop our craft and, and putting in the time and, and investment in gear and in training and everything. What do you think about that versus like people could just be handed it with like no requirement to do a lot of investment in training and, and gear? Well, as a teacher, it somewhat scares me, I guess, <laughs> because let's face it, I, I make a living off of teaching people, you know, at the university, you know, it's all about, um, all about training folks how to use the software and to, once they use the software, going beyond that though, that's, that's where the, that, that's where the possibilities still live because, the software makes it super easy and that and i've even with the advancements in photoshop i've had to change how i teach photoshop because there's so many you know base things that are just not difficult anymore you know <laughs> right. it used to be difficult to select around a person's hair and even in photoshop it's a lot easier than it used to be right and i'm sure with the ai i, I haven't seen anything about this so i don't know but i would imagine selecting someone uh, and and drawing them out of that that background will be easier when we have these extra enhancements going on in the software yeah. if you needed to draw them out of the, the background anyway. So that kind of thing gets easier to do and it just frees you up to hopefully maybe be more creative and focus more of your energy on the creativity and less on getting maybe frustrated about the tool itself or, or what your capabilities are. Because if it enhances your capabilities, I am all for it. But I can also 
really understand and I often will support the the folks that are often termed like the unnecessary purists or whatever you want to call that idea to say, oh, I could never do this. It's It just ruins the art. It ruins uh-huh. the, ex- the experience or whatever you want to, however they want to describe it. I totally get that. And that's part of, I think, you know, one of the reasons why in a very small way for me, let's say changing to that prime lens, it changes the act of shooting and it becomes a different experience. I don't want to say it's a more pure experience, but it does have limitations. You just are limited when you can't zoom. And so this AI that's coming through in these software pieces, it's removing these limitations that we've had. And I don't know if I want to coin a term like, you know, responsible editing or responsible (laughs) use of AI or anything along those lines, but we can get really irresponsible really quick and, and start to, you know, say that something is that it isn't. And, you know, the, the question of authenticity has always been there in photography and art more so in photography, really, because photography is something that can easily be fooling the, the viewer to say it's something it is real when it really isn't, you know, that, that really did exist. Well, no, it didn't. I replaced the sky. You just can't tell that I replaced the sky or, you know, I, I softened someone's skin and I'm going to tell you, they really did look that, you know, that soft or whatever. So it just, it's certainly a good thing, but I know there's going to be a, a certain segment of the population that's going to be pushing back on something like this too. I think the, the biggest point that I wanted to, to, present in this episode is you got to stay up on this like (laughs) even if you are a a very well-established photographer with 30 40 years of experience and a a thriving business today you got to stay up on this because the the services that you've been providing for a long time are becoming more and more accessible to the average person without having to do any work with, with zero. And, and there's a, a story that I want to point to in Petapixel that, that, uh, or no, it was, sorry, it's F-stoppers, an F-stopper story that I wanted to point to everyone to where <laughs> there was a, a photographer who was paid $800 to shoot a wedding. And then the photos that they got back were worse than the photos the family had taken with the iPhone <laughs> at the wedding. Now, th- this is an extreme ca- example because the, yeah. the photographer that was hired to do the wedding was not good. They did not do a good job of getting good exposure. They, they did not use any kind of flash to help them. It was all like natural lighting and it was poorly done. So it's, it's not uh, a, a totally warning. It's not like you took an Erica or a Connor <laughs> to do right. a wedding and the iPhone beat them. That That is not the case here. It's it's, a, right. it's very far from that. But if it, it, the, the technology that we're talking about and the, the things that the computer or the software can do with the pixels that it's given now is developing at a very, very fast pace. And, um, and it may have impacts. Like, there's a lot of photographers who you know, have a, a kind of a base price. They'll do prints and make, make good money on that margins. And, uh, and they'll charge extra if somebody says, you know what, I just hate how my, how I, I look heavy in this image. Can you make me look skinnier? Or 
I don't, can you take the smile from this person and put it on that person? Um, uh, sorry, uh, from this image and put it in that image. Something well, like that's that. That's better. <laughs> yeah, sorry. It, it, right. See, again, responsible <laughs> use of Sure. AI okay. Stuff. So so whatever it is. And, and they'll, they're like, yes, I can do that. But that's a lot of work at Photoshop. I'm going to charge extra for it. Well, it's becoming where you can't really say that anymore. And not yet, but it's it's headed in a direction where uh, people may be less likely to pay for something because the software is changing it and and making it so that options are uh, when's it going to be that someone's going to be like well I'm just going to have my cousin shoot my wedding because the iPhone all they have to do is just push the button <laughs> that's right. all it takes and they they produce just really good results there's already I know there's been photographers for several years now who have they only use smartphones for their work and get paid for it and then what they're paying for is the person's eye, how they're they're composing the scene. That that part of it's still uh, impactful for now. But it could be that these sensors in these phones get big enough and have enough megapixels that they can take a, a big wide scene and then the phone will analyze it and be like, actually, what you really want out of this photo is it cropped to right here. <laughs> this is the, the important part of the photo. This will be way better, more compelling. And you don't even have that aspect anymore that is a big difference because you can just point the camera out there, push the button, and the phone says, here's the very best image of that the, scene that you just took. Yeah, the best composition, yeah, what have you. All, all of that. Well, and we're kind of taking a baby step there already with the 11 Pro because it, it will activate both cameras together right, right. and it will show you the parts that are outside the frame so you can be like, oh, maybe I do want to include that. Maybe you want to exclude that. And you change your framing a little bit. And it's just like, I don't know if I like that. I think I would get annoyed by that because I'm just so used to not having that function. And the fact that it's available, you know, that's just a different way of, of shooting too, to say, here's your, here's your framing, but it could be this. Right. <laughs> it's just, oh my goodness. It's a it's an amazing world. I think I love it. You know, it fits right oh, yeah. in line with with me and the the. I love technology. I love how it works and improves lives and and I get into it and I I love it. So it, it's all positives for me. I I I'm really excited about it. But I could see where there may be photographers like, oh my goodness, I'm being replaced by a camera, a computer. I'm yeah. <laughs> what what I do and what I provide as a service and and I've worked so hard to build and and become competent in and excel in is being replaced by a phone, and and I could see where that would be uh, concerning to to some photographers. But I mean, it, it's all going to matter how we incorporate it. How do we deal with it? You got to know how it works. You got to be able to go and and uh, you absolutely have to understand how it works. And then how, you got to figure out how then, how can I make it so that what I do is better? How do I stay up on top of this? That might mean, okay, I have to figure out how to add light. To I have to use artificial. I've got to get flash going. Even if you've been able to produce some really compelling natural light images, it might be like, that's how you distinguish yourself is I know how to add light. And even if the, if you add light with the phone, which there's lots of options coming now where you can add flash with with uh, your smartphone, um, knowing how to do that and how to place the lights and, and how to get the light so that it will be uh, a better, more pleasing result might be the thing that is better. You've, like even with the phone, that's fine. A, a, an average person 
that it, it's got to be something where they can't just push the button and, and have no other changes. It's got to be something that you add to that overall process. And so staying up on this is really, really critical and being able to, to understand what you're up against. What's your competition in the form of artificial intelligence so that you can make your services relevant, impactful, and something that people are still going to want to pay for, even though they could just ask their crazy uncle to take the photos at the wedding or something like that. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a wonderful world we live in, but it could also be scary. Um, so I'm excited still. I, I think it's fun. I love yeah. diving into this. Wish I could get the iPhone 11 Pro and and really play around with it and and see what I could do with it. But I'll be waiting till the 2020. That's when my three years is up and and I'll I'll be investing in the next version of the iPhone. And they'll have more stuff then. So you that's know. right. <laughs> it, it'll be even better. Okay, let's move on to close up the show here with our doodads of the week. Brent, what do you have? So I have chosen the Think Tank Photo Urban Access 15, and the reason I chose that is because I do need to shoot it a little more, but this is getting really close, really honed in to my ideal of what the perfect bag is. I've reviewed a lot of of, um, Think Tank Photo bags, and I, I went out to the Oregon coast on a workshop a couple of weeks ago, well, three or four weeks ago now. And they actually sent this to me out there. Um, so I, I got it midway through the workshop. And I was really impressed because it has the the three panel access to your gear. So you've got it through the back of the the the, the backpack. You know, if you were to take it off, you've got a panel there that accesses everything. Then you've got two side panel accesses. And a lot of different bags have that. And I tried out a, um, a low pro uh, one that, that had that idea with it but it was just because the way the the water bottle holder meshed with the side it just didn't work out very well with my particular camera if i had a mirrorless camera it probably would have been fine but just too packed in well this one the water bottle holder is really substantial and it's really easy when that thing is loaded with a water bottle it just still flaps out of the way super easy it closes super easy super configurable inside the two things i wish they would do for it give it um the mind shift styling and then make it so it has a removable internal camera unit. I would still like to see something like that. Oh, it doesn't have that. But huh? okay. Otherwise, it's a really... I, I still need to shoot it, of course. Like I said, um, I'm planning so far, I'm planning on taking this when I go up to Alaska Island in December. Uh, I'm planning on taking this one because I just want to really torture it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, right. so it's going to get tortured up on Unalaska Island in December. The only quest you've been... That's been longer for you than what camera <laughs> system is which bag to use. That's exactly right. And I've got too many <laughs> bags, um, but that they are a fantastic manufacturer and the Ultralight yeah. 26 is a really good bag. That's my current go-to bag, but there's still a few things just like, you know, I just want a little bit of this, a little bit of that, whatever. The Urban Access ticks off a few of those items and I'm really pleased with it, but they went with a think tank styling instead of the instead of the uh, mind shift styling, the mind shift is just more, I'm more of that outdoor travel type, whatever. Uh, so it's got the functionality. Now I'm looking for the style. <laughs> right. So, but it's really awesome. It's really good. Very good. Um, yeah. I, I have a, a mind shift bag too. That I just, I just love, I think it's called Greenfield 
what is it? I can't remember. I'd have to go look it up, but it's, it, I love it. I'll put a link in the show notes to the one that I'm using. I've been using it for several years now and I just, I've loved it and haven't needed to change anything. So yeah, it's great. Okay. My doodad, I already shared this on uh, photo taco and, and in Facebook. If, if you've seen uh, those then, or if you're following me, you've already seen this recommendation, but um, I am working on trying to do some videos for my YouTube channel. I want to do like reviews of camera equipment and some training kinds of things on YouTube. I want to add to that as part of what I, I'm producing for content that people can consume. So you can go check out that. Uh, I ha- There's not much there yet, but I'm trying to figure out what I want to do with video and how I want to make it work. And I think the best camera I have for video right now is my phone. <laughs> my my Canon cameras don't do 4K. The phone does. I've done some comparisons already of the video quality, and I like the video coming out of my phone better than that than the video coming out of my Canon uh, crop sensor cameras. So I and and I I like the the setup of it. I like the the way it works uh, to get the video. Anyway, there's there's things that why I've decided that I'm going to do that. But getting good audio is really important to me. I'm a podcaster. Audio is a, a critical piece. Uh, you can really screw up the video, the the visual aspects. And if the audio is still really solid, people don't really notice <laughs> when if you have if you have challenges there. So um, good audio. I, I have good microphones. I have good ways to record it. But getting that into my phone, you can try to record them separately and then put them together in, in post. And, and that can work. But it's just another thing that could go wrong and I don't want to have be a, a problem. So I, I was on a quest to figure out how do I get my good microphone connected to my phone while I'm doing video. And I went through, I've probably spent $50 so far on trying to get the right adapters so that I can connect my microphone. They're different formats. The microphone output comes in what's called TRS and then the... um the phones need TRRS. And so um, it, it's not a seamless transition. And I, I've bought multiple adapters who sp- that specifically said it does that conversion, TRS to TRRS. They didn't work. I tried a whole bunch of them, uh, the inexpensive options, some of them even like cheap options, and they just they didn't work. The iPhone did not detect the, a microphone being there. Uh, they looked right visually, even as I looked, at e- not only online, but as I had the product in hand and was looking, I was like, okay, yep, that looks like the right number of rings on the adapters to make this work. Just didn't go. So um, after investing in a few that didn't work, I finally found one that did. There's other more expensive cables that I did not try because they're expensive, like over $50 just for the one oh. adapter cable. And I was hoping I could find one that was less expensive than that. So that um, just just to share with everybody and, and what would fit with my budget. And uh, this one works. So this is from Rode, which is makes sense. They're a microphone vendor, have really good audio equipment. They're, it's the Rode SC4 3.5 millimeter TRS to TRRS microphone adapter. And, and specifically the SC4, they offer a few products that are adapters that do various changes. And there's like an SC2, an SC3. Those are not the exact one you need to convert a microphone to the iPhone Thunderbolt kind of connection. So, or sorry, lightning connection. Um, so you use this adapter and then you use the Apple three and a half millimeter 
uh, you know, headphone kind of conversion to the, the lightning adapter and it works perfectly. Now, now I get my audio into the phone and that's going to allow me to, uh, to produce the videos with high quality audio that I want. So cool. Yep. It's uh my quest is complete. 15 bucks still feels like a lot to pay for a cable, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but that's better than I seriously, it was like $54 or something oh. for some of the other ones that I had looked at. And I was like, what? $54 for an adapter? No. Okay. Yeah. That's rough. <laughs> so this one works and, uh, and you should check it out. All right. Uh, reminders. Phototacopodcast.com is the home for the show. That's where you'll see the show notes for this episode. And you really need to check out the show notes. If you're not doing that, you, you're missing out on some detail. We try to represent everything we can in the audio version of the podcast, but there's some stuff you just can't replicate very well. If you want links to the the other art, the other news stories we talked about and everything, you're, you're going to want to go over to the show notes. So masterphotographypodcast.com, Facebook group we talked about already. There's a link to it in the show notes. So you can go find it. You can find um, my work, jsharmanphotos.com. The other podcast I do, phototacopodcast.com. In the most recent episode, I told you why it is photographers who are new to composite photography should use a white background instead of a green background. And uh, so I, I give a lot of tips about what to do to give yourself the best chance for a successful composite. And you're going to want to go check out that episode. And again, show notes there. I have like a, it's a semi-illustrated guide to kind of what the differences are between a white and a green background and, and why you should use that. You'll have cool. uh, all my links to Facebook, doc, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter over in the show notes at masterphotographypodcast.com. Brent, where can people find you? So at my main website, just my name, brentbergherm.com. And then also the latitudephotographypodcast.com is there. So not with the word the, though. <laughs> latitudephotographypodcast.com is my podcast where we talk about pretty much all things that would interest a travel and outdoor slash nature slash landscape photographer. And when you're on the other items, like whether it's Instagram, YouTube, just search my name. I'm the only one uh, <laughs> online that's named Brent Bergherm. I do have a cousin named Brent Bergherm, but he is like nowhere online. So that, that benefits me uh, a little bit. So you can just search my name on those uh, socials and, and find me there. I do have a couple of Facebook groups too, that if you wanted to join that, of course, a Latitude Facebook group and then um, uh, a workshops, you know, where I, I share a little bit of info about the workshop that's coming up or whatever. So uh, if that interests folks, um, yeah, find me out there. Very good. All right. We thank you so much for listening. All of you that uh, that are listening into the show, we we so appreciate it. It's, it's what makes the show keep going. We're so grateful for you. And we'd love to have you share the show. If uh, if this is something that you've enjoyed and, and you get value out of it, uh, especially uh, the photographers or who are starting their journey or or have started, but they're looking for some help about how to continue to master their photography. Love to have you share the show and and get get others to subscribe. That that's what helps us the most is getting subscriptions to the show helps keep driving it. And uh, and we thank you all for listening. We'll see you again in another seven days. 